From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin underscore Clue. Uh, the Phillies took care of business in San Diego, shockingly, after an almost loss, a devastating loss, and a big win. Now things get really interesting as they head home to take on the Marlins this weekend, sticking their hand into the garbage disposal that is the National League wildcard race. The surging Marlins and Phillies will play each other as the equally hot Cubs are going to be taken on the Diamondbacks at Wrigley Field. So an eventful weekend for the National League playoff picture. Joining me to talk a bit about these strange new fish is Eli Sussman, founder of Fish on First and the handler of social media for PitcherList. Hey, Eli, thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be on with you, Justin. Thank you. I mean, the last time we talked, uh, I feel like we were talking about two totally different teams. I, I feel like the, the Phillies really found their footing uh, in the last couple of weeks. Trey Turner uh, really responded to an ovation. Uh, as, as much as I supported it, I was very surprised that the results were as immediate and impactful as they were. But him him finding his stroke really helped the Phillies offense seem to find its collective stroke. And they have been a much more offensive team in the past few weeks. But the Marlins have also been streaking and hitting and doing very well uh, at, at exactly the time that they should be. So, I mean, in, in the past couple of weeks, how, how, how has your perspective on the Marlins changed as, as you've watched them kind of find their groove? Uh, it, well, it changes uh, quite frequently with this team. It is such a it is the ultimate cliche when we talk about sports, but this has been such a roller coaster season from having the best first half in franchise history heading into the All Star break to free falling immediately after that to entering the trade deadline feeling that there's not enough that this team could have done. They had too many holes to fill, it seemed at one time, to swing trades that were very very popular in the moment. And then from there to go to continuing to lose games throughout most of August and only recently this past week plus now on the longest winning streak in baseball as we're talking right now with one more game <laughs> still pending here. There's been a lot of ups and downs, but you did touch on it actually in your intro. You you put it very fairly that this NL wildcard race is uh, it's underwhelming to say the least. Um, the, the reason why the Marlins have stayed in this position is because uh, their other competition for these remaining spots are are just are equally flawed, you can say. And in some cases, perhaps even in more dire straits than the Marlins are. The big difference this past week has been, yeah, that offense coming around, hitting home runs at a rate that they simply have not done all year. This is a team that has prided itself on small ball for a lot of this year for making contact. And I, I think they would tell you man to man that they feel that the most effective way of course to put up big runs on the board is to actually hit the ball out of the park and yeah they're finally doing that a combination of new acquisitions from the trade deadline as well as some guys finally catching fire most notably jazz chisholm jr at this moment um finally having that power component to this team has made it a more complete team and a more uh, consistent team you could be talking about either one of these teams when you say that. It's incredible how the home run really <laughs> changes the vibe of a game and a team as the Phillies in August hit more home runs than anybody all of the sudden. And that, that this powerful team that was supposed to exist from day one was finally here with two months left in the season. And I, yeah, that's certainly been a big reason for their success. Uh, you mentioned Chisholm. Uh, is there anybody else on the Marlins who, who uh, during this win streak, has really been a catalyst for the, the Marlins' success, who's really turned it on or, or surprised you, perhaps? Oh, well, it's been, other than that, it's just been a pretty deep group of contributions. It's been everybody from the very bottom of the, the lineup, such as even Jacob Stallings having his best stretch in a couple of years as Marlins, to uh, Joey Wendell. I, I think I saw, at least one per I saw at least one person very facetiously suggest that the Marlins fans should do give him the Trey Turner treatment just because he's been slumping at an unprecedented level over the last month and a half. And, and finally going off, he had what turned out to be the go-ahead 
home run against the Dodgers to uh, seal the series, his first home run in about three months for this team. Between them, and for the most part, both Jake Berger and Josh Bell have both been terrific since they've been acquired. There have been a little bit of ups and downs, but overall, both of those players uh, have been critical to this team. They're in the heart of the lineup every single day. Um, so I, I, a lot of it just starts with those two guys really raising the floor of this lineup uh, Berger at third base and then Bell at first base. Um, both of those positions, they just weren't getting a ton of power production at all early in the year. So both of those guys have been pretty critical to it. Um, yeah, other than that, it really is a little bit of everybody. The one uh, notable absence has been the team's home run leader this season, Jorge Soler, uh, just a day ago going on the injured list with an oblique strain and injuries at this stage of the year. You, you can't count on anybody coming back uh, necessarily depending on the severity of that strain, that injury. So that is one of perhaps my favorite stat of this entire Marlins season that I just uncovered is that the Marlins are 16 and one when Jorge Soler is not in their lineup. This is the most (laughs) impactful power hitter on their entire team. And they are incredible in a, a large, a growing sample now of 17 games without him. It doesn't make any sense just as this Marlins team as a whole just hasn't made a whole lot of sense this year. This is just a fountain of parallels because once again, you could be talking about either of these teams, which is making me thinking this this series could be a, a very fun series to watch. The Phillies are also getting contributions up and down their lineup, and in both cases, if you're getting contributions from Joey Wendell, if you're getting if Jake Caves ground balls are finding holes, you have a pretty deep lineup, and that's certainly a, a factor in your success. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely true for both teams. And also the statistics that make no sense. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Kyle Schwarber, but he's, he's incapable of hitting 200, but he just had his second straight 40 home run season. He has right. more home runs than he has singles. And uh, I believe the stat, uh, as, as of like one or two days ago, which obviously by now may have changed, but the stat that really blew me away was that of 88 players with at least 500 plate appearances, Kyle Schwarber was second in walks and dead last in singles. And it's not like it's not like you got to wonder, well, how does that happen? It's just, wow, that's happening? Why is that happening? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, currently the Marlins are alone in the third wildcard spot, half a game up. They have won six games in a row, I believe, at 72 wins. They are five games behind the Phillies who lead the wildcard race. What, in your mind, Eli, is the reason for that five-game deficit. What separates the Phillies and Marlins this year? Is it a particular key injury, a series, a month you can point to, a roster weakness, pure luck? Surely it's a lot of these things, but when I ask that question, what comes to mind first, having watched the Marlins all season? What has cost them five wins? Man, I would say, really, it was an extended stretch from the second half of July through all of August, where the Marlins barely ever won a series in there, um, the bullpen coming back down to earth has been a big difference because early in the year, the Marlins were on a record pace when it came to winning one-run games. They were performing at such an incredible level with a lot of very unheralded relievers. Uh, I think everybody recognized as of late July that they still needed some help, that there would be some regression there, and the organization took an aggressive approach to actually adding veteran relievers to this situation, most notably David Robertson and then also Jorge Lopez. And both of them have been disastrous, so much so that Lopez is not even on the team anymore. The uh, the Marlins put him on waivers and essentially salary dumped him for the month of September because he had been such a liability. And Robertson won game against these Phillies the last time they met. Robertson blew a save and took a loss with very uncharacteristic struggles. And for the most part, he has been... Uh, he's been one of the differences between them sustaining the pace they were on earlier in the year versus kind of uh, being this inconsistent team is that they've been putting him in very high leverage situations and several times already he has blown those situations. So as we're entering this series, Robertson is now just a run-of-the-mill middle relief guy. He has fallen very far down in a short amount of time in this hierarchy after uh, costing the team a couple games. Uh, Not all on him. You can't totally blame the relievers. But again, this is about a team that had been overperforming for so much of the year. A lot of that because they were holding leads when they had them late in those games. And that has really not been the case much recently. There's been one constant for them in the bullpen. It's been Tanner Scott. Uh, Depending on how you slice the numbers, he's been 
arguably the, the best reliever in baseball this year. It's really not that far behind somebody like Josh Hader. He is in that category of excellence, especially when it matters for this team. But outside of him, um, there's there's not a whole lot of guys that reliably day in and day out can get those at least recently, haven't been producing the same way they were early in the year. So I'd have to say that is, for a team that at its best is kind of a average-ish offense, and one that has a decent rotation, but that in itself has had some ups and downs, the bullpen was the most extraordinary thing early in the year, and that's what has come back down to earth. Even given their efforts to try to add talent from outside the organization, it hasn't been enough to totally stabilize. So having been on either side of a David Robertson meltdown, I got to tell you, I vastly prefer being the uh, the hitting team in that scenario. That's uh, we, that's he's a two time Philly, so we got that experience <laughs> well in hand. But yeah, we much prefer the kind of David Robertson meltdown that occurred the last time the Phillies and Marlins played each other. Uh, but you mentioned the rotation. Uh, and, and that Jorge Soler has uh, has been relegated to the injured list. But the Marlins have also lost reigning National League Cy Young Award winner Sandy Alcantara for the rest of the se- season due to a right arm, right forearm flexor strain. He's had a down-ish year, but how much does this impact the Marlins' playoff chances, especially with Soler also missing some time as well? And perhaps you even take issue with the idea that Alcantara's had a down-ish year. I know that there's some... Uh, He's certainly done his job eating innings for Miami. Right. It has been that fascinating mixed bag where you see a lot of characteristics that are exactly what you want from Sandy in terms of pitching deep into games, the velocity that he has, the pitch mix that he has. Um, At the same time, any way you slice it, this was a disappointing year for him, even relative to his the previous year, 2021, going back before the Cy Young campaign. uh, There was hope that at some point something was going to click for him. There was, I'd say, somewhat, I, don't, I, I think it was a bit of fool's gold coming out of the All-Star break when he had a streak of starts that looked a lot closer to his Cy Young form. He never really found his changeup this year. His changeup, at least relative to what it was in 2022, it was an amazing put-away pitch, soft contact pitch. And this year, it's just not moving the same way, not using it in the same way. And I feel like a lot of his his regression has come from that pitch not performing the way that it was, and he never really figured it out even before uh, this injury. Uh, I do have to say that this is still very significant because I don't love this team's rotation depth, and it also comes at a time where the Marlins are playing 16 games in a row without an off day. So what Sandy was still doing throughout this entire year was eating those innings keeping the relievers rested, especially those high leverage guys, and putting them in a position to actually perform well when they were needed, um, whether whenever that was going to be, whether it was on the day that he was pitching or whether it was in the subsequent days. I feel like that is a pretty strong factor that an endings eater has that kind of indirectly is still very important regardless of whether it happens on their start day or not. And without that, there's simply nobody that's going to eat those innings down the stretch. A lot of these other players in the rotation are guys that are actually pitching innings they never have before in a single season in terms of their workload. The Marlins, as already, assuming that Sandy was healthy, they have entered this year basically banking on Sandy Alcantara making 32, 33 starts. They, I, I don't think they were really had much of a contingency plan for him to miss time. And for it to come at a time now where without those off days where you know you'll have to rely on your bullpen, and when you have these young pitchers that you, you don't know how much fatigue is going to affect them this deep into the year just because they're not conditioned to pitch this many innings in a single season, um, it's, they're in a lot of trouble uh, right here. Even though it wasn't looking, there wasn't a clear indication that Sandy was going to turn everything on in September and flip a switch and be dominant, I, I think there's going to be a pretty substantial drop-off from him to somebody like Edward Cabrera, who is now, he's either in the rotation or he's going to be just a con- consistent bulk guy from this team, but he was optioned to the minors for a reason, because he was the anti-Sandy in some ways. He was not pitching deep into games. He was not pitching efficiently enough. He was not challenging hitters. Um and for him to now be put in, given this pretty significant responsibility, alongside the likes of Johnny Cueto. Johnny Cueto is now the only quote-unquote veteran in this rotation. Um, and that's not a comfortable spot to be in because Cueto has, Cueto this year, it's been an, an, a disappointing ride, an interesting ride, where even when he looks like he's on top of his game, the third time through an order, he turns back into a pumpkin again. And um, yeah, the rotation is certainly a huge concern the rest of the way. No matter how he looks, Johnny Cueto is going to Johnny Cueto you. 
you know, that's just, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's, uh, it feels inevitable. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I, 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 I agree that uh, uh, a lot of this has come down to pitching and the Phillies pitching has really carried them the first half of their season uh, when their offense was still waiting to show up. And it's here now, which is very comforting. And their bullpen has also started to waver a bit. Now, you know, you could just chalk this up to people's arms are tired. It's the home stretch. But, uh, you know, this was a strength of the team at one point. Their rotation was a big strength at one point. They've uh, come not to they've, they've started not to lean on their rotation as much, uh, it seems, as the offense has really picked up the slack. But seeing as the Phillies are a team that has displayed at different times uh, different components as its biggest strength, what about the Phillies concerns you if you're the Marlins going into this series? What, what are you What are you planning for? What are you watching film on? Like what What is the thing you're focusing on as far as this Phillies team goes? Who do you want to get out? Man, I, I don't I don't know where to start when you're approaching this lineup the way that the I don't want to like boil it all down to Trey Turner, but that was, the lineup just looks so much deeper now between him, between um, Johan Rojas. I know he's somebody that I was not paying any attention to whatsoever. And it's kind of yeah. like come out of nowhere to, <laughs> to be a really solid big leaguer and, and to help this team as well. Yeah. Even somebody like that um, is just an extra person to deal with. And Kyle Schwarber, as we talked about earlier on, that he's on one of his, he's still hitting under 200, but I mean, the fact that he's, the frequency of both his home runs and his walks have really gone out of control at this point to uh, make that. It, it's just such an incredibly deep lineup to navigate for uh, a Marlins rotation that uh, guys that have a lot of experience facing the Phillies in their short careers to this point. So they kind of know what to expect right there. Um, but this is a Marlins team that only recently has clicked things on themselves at the plate. And it's, they're not a team that's going to win a whole lot of these, home run derbies between a team like the Phillies moving forward. That's not something that uh, you really want to count on them doing. Yeah. With, with this Marlins team, I, I think it's just, the, you mentioned the five game separation between these two. And um, yeah, I, I don't really see a path for them closing the gap between them. I do feel like the Phillies are just an overall better team, despite the way that the Marlins are trending recently. It's a little bit of everything from that rotation. Um, uh, yeah, Michael Lorenzen in particular being another guy that uh, I know he's had a little bit of inconsistency since he's been with the Phillies from the highs of that no hitter to the lows of having <laughs> his struggles. But that was a that was a player that the Marlins were reportedly in on that I felt like, especially now, you can kind of feel the absence, the lack of rotation depth coming back to bite them a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's not so much about being... Uh, intimidated by any particular aspect of this Phillies team, but just yeah, feeling that overall um, it's still a bit of a talent mismatch, and that like any way you you put these pieces together, um, it's I'm, I'm not particularly optimistic about uh, the Marlins keeping up, unfortunately. The high of the Michael Lorenzen no-hitter was, yes, subsequently followed by uh, the, I'll, I'll say, the, the game against the Nationals, where the Phillies scored six runs, and then he gave six runs right back the following inning, and in a game the Phillies ultimately lost. I was actually at a bachelor party, and I went from being, like, life of the party to miserable wallflower as that <laughs> inning was going on. That had an actual impact on my everyday life, so thanks a lot, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, well, I'm going to put you on the spot here as we wrap up. Um, what do you expect to come out of this weekend? Not just like who's going to win necessarily, but you've been pretty good about charting the uh, the seeding implications of wildcard teams playing each other. And obviously that's happening not just uh, with the Phillies and Marlins this weekend, but with the Cubs and Diamondbacks, like I mentioned. When the dust settles after just this weekend, what do you expect the playoff picture to, to be like? Do you expect any drastic changes or or do you feel like patterns to patterns will just continue yeah the interesting uh if we're not just talking about the marlins and phillies i'm gonna also have my attention split between the d-backs and the cubs uh going they're facing head to head the in four game series as well that pretty directly affects both both of these teams and they're, and they're vying for playoff positioning um so between that going on there and like the Marlins are playing at such a level that that I expect them to somehow take a game uh, in this series during these three game span, um, but I feel like they're going to lose a little bit of ground to um, 
perhaps not the D-backs in this case, but uh, even looking ahead to the, the Cincinnati Reds finally getting a favorable matchup at home against the Cardinals. Um, I, I don't trust the thing is I don't trust any of these other teams that the the Marlins are playing against um, that, that are vying against for this final playoff spot between the Reds between the Giants the the Giants being a team that is collapsing even more that is probably free falled more dramatically than any of these other contenders recently hosting the Rockies this weekend if there's any team in there that is kind of poised to gain ground over these next few days you would think it would be the Giants at this point uh, in that scenario but as kind of this entire second half of the season has shown, like none of these teams in vying for that third spot seem to really want it. Um, So I would kind of, my default is just that chaos will continue to reign. That as we're talking right now, it's three or four teams separated by about one game for that final spot. And my best guess is it's going to be more of the same coming out of this weekend that, uh, yeah, these. I, I I don't know if there's any one of these teams that even over the stretch of three games, is uh is really going to like consistently tie wins together at this point. Yeah, I, I would kind of just default to what we're going through right now. That this going down to the wire compared to last year. Well, I think it was 87 wins that the Phillies had last year to get the final postseason spot. No <laughs> way. There's no way you need 87 this time to claim that third spot in the NL race this year. It's looking like 85, but even more likely 84 in this situation. And for the Marlins, that just means kind of alternating wins and losses the rest of the way in order to uh, to get that, which seems it seems both manageable and it also seems like the best case scenario at the same time. With the way that they play it sometimes, it feels like even that is too much to ask. Uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be, I don't have a whole lot of faith in any of these wildcard teams really outside of the Phillies and the Cubs. Those, those two teams, for the most part, uh, I feel pretty comfortable about them continuing to separate themselves. And with the matchups that they have, with the Cubs against the D-backs and the Phillies against the Marlins, I, I think those two superior teams are going to win their respective series if i had to guess yeah i would say at some point after the all-star break the cubs uh, usurped the giants spot in the wild card picture the giants are really the first team out of this whirring blender that i'm confident in saying they're done they've been playing like trash and they are plummeting and you, i mean playing the rockies you're right that is an opportunity but they have been blowing it against teams they should have been beating and i'm i'm pretty confident in saying they are they are not going to be a large factor in this nl wild card uh, picture if that is a hot take i don't think it is because we're talking about a team that's they're like at 500 at this point i believe so like i don't think that's an especially bold take but i am frankly enjoying it uh, thanks again to Eli Sussman for uh, showing up here, talking a little Marlins Phillies here on Hitting Season. You can follow Eli at Real Eli on Twitter, and you can check out his work at Fish on First. Eli, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Justin. Go fish. I'm here now with my Hitting Season co-host Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. You can follow her on Twitter at Liz Rocher. Liz. How we doing? <laughs> Yo, doing good. It's like a, a cloudy, sunny day here in uh in where I am in Baltimore, and it is disgusting outdoors. Very gross. It's is a it gross disgusting world, where you are, Justin? Fortunately, we all live indoors and never really have to go outside. We Thank can just God. watch the sports being played by people who are outside inside of our homes. It's actually a golden age to be alive. I think yes, we can all agree. Is. Uh, but yeah, Liz, this San Diego series the Phillies just played, uh, they're coming off a month of August where they were accruing a lot of momentum, just building up. It feels like a lot of playoff energy. And uh, then they lost two games to the Brewers in a very frustrating series, went to San Diego, didn't always look great, but won two games out of three. And you know my philosophy, who cares when the game is over and the Phillies have won? I have no further thoughts really uh, about that game. Um, but would you still say at this point, the Phillies are maintaining the kind of momentum they had in August? I think they are the, the winning the two games in uh, San Diego was a big help. I don't know why I felt like until you said that and reminded me, I thought that they had lost two out of three because that's how I felt. Like, don't know why. 
Yeah, because they almost did lose game one after leading eight to one. They had. Oh, uh, yeah, that would be why, because that was horrific. Yeah, (laughs) they had they had game one in the bag with an eight to one lead and then almost lost it. Then one nine to seven. They got pounded into the dirt in game two, eight to nothing. Thanks to you guessed it. Michael Lorenzen's third straight start in which he allowed eight hits in six or fewer (laughs) innings, as well as a handful of walks. And that time it cost him six earned runs, too. The Phillies were obviously flummoxed by the Padres' Pedro Avila, whose main job as a pitcher this season has been to mop up terrible Rich Hill starts for San Diego. Yep. He got got a full-on start of his own, and what do you know, Phillies just couldn't handle it. Nick Castellanos didn't really help. He grounded into a lot of double plays. He got something like like, uh, six outs and like three swings. Unbelievable. Or like four <laughs> swings. It was something like that. He he grounded it to a double play three straight times. Yeah. Uh, I was usually after Kyle Schwarber had like walked right in front of him. Something like that. Would... It was just I'm just like, God, this is this is this is the Wilson Valdez of it all. I remember him just hitting into double play after double play. Uh that what was that, twenty ten? Some relevant year now. It's so far away. But like, I remember him being that guy and I'm watching Nick. I'm like, you can't be this guy. This is not a guy that anyone wants on their team. Stop this. I I wrote a poem back then called the bases were loaded for Wilson Valdez. I wish I could find it. Yes, you did. Because I remember you saying that line. I'm just like, that is great meter right there. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) The title alone is kind of a poem. Uh, Then in Game 3 against the Padres, the Phillies seemed to stabilize, got a terrific outing from ace Zach Wheeler, and punched through enough runs for a comfortable 5-1 victory, even though they blew a bases-loaded one-out, I think, situation in the uh, very early in the first. (laughs) It was something like that. It might have been one-out. It might have been no-outs. It was yelling. I was yelling. Everybody pretty much simultaneously said, either sarcastically or earnestly, well, I'm sure that won't come back to bite the Phillies or that's going to come back to bite the Phillies. But the way the series has gone, I, I understand that thinking, but they wound up, uh, like I said, with a very comfortable win that if it hadn't been for game one would have never felt too in doubt. So yeah. all in all three, very different types of baseball <laughs> all games, three of them quite different. <laughs> Another three day reminder that this team is something else every time it gets out of bed in the morning. You do not know what you're going to see when the Phillies take the field. You have an idea of what could happen, but that's like like a selection pool. Like, it's infinite. <laughs> Anything literally could be in there. Did this Padres series see a departure from what we've grown accustomed to seeing from this Phillies team this year, do you feel? I don't think so. All of this felt familiar. I think the the, the shutout loss actually felt unfamiliar. That I don't think they've been shut out too many times this year. That could also that, just not be true. That's a good point. That the the stupid loss in game two really was the most uh, foreign seeming Phillies game out of these three. You know, not the one where they had a big lead and then almost blew it, and not the one where they looked relatively stable all day, got a great start from their starter, and came out on top after leading all day. Uh, those felt like things the Phillies do normally, but getting you know utterly bashed eight to nothing like that was a bit of a surprise except for you know Lorenzen being the starter because that's just how he's pitched lately uh but yeah they were they uh Brandon Marsh had a hit Jake Cave had a hit and Edmundo Sosa had a hit nobody else had a hit nope. <laughs> that mm-hmm. whole day Definitely three dudes you would expect to have a hit <laughs> yeah I mean there's not even like a wild runners in scoring position stat to throw at you the Phillies went 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position because they did uh, not get anyone in scoring position because they barely got anyone on base that was that was when I turned off pretty early I'm like I see where this is going I got yeah. better things to do than watch them get pasted absolutely and uh a Bryson stop throwing error didn't help no I can't watch him make errors it makes my heart sad Xander Bogarts going four for four didn't really help scoring three runs and knocking one in. He was responsible for half of the runs. The Padres scored that day. Fernando Tatis uh, hit another monster home run. He had a couple of those in this series. And uh, yeah, just a, just an ugly, forgettable game, but it's ugly and forgettable because that really isn't how the Phillies have been playing lately. Uh, You know, you're going to see that from time to time from pretty much any team. But I do. I'm, I'm with you. I feel like there was a hiccup in Milwaukee, but that's why I didn't freak out 
about Milwaukee, even though there were some ugly, devastating losses, they did feel more like just, yeah, I mean, you're going to lose. Sometimes that ball's going to go under Alec Bohm's glove. Sometimes Jose Alvarado's going to walk in a run. It's not pleasant. It shouldn't happen, but it's going to happen because baseball is long and there's a lot of it and you mm-hmm. can't win every game for the last two months of the season. Uh, that being said, I do. That's what I mean by hiccup. I feel like that was just uh, something that that happened and not indicative of any long term issues. I think no. Lorenzen is is probably indicative of some longer term issues. Um, after the no hitter, it felt like, boy, what a what, what a, a great, great addition. But more and more, it feels like he he sold most of his soul for to that. Get that no hitter, and everything yep. since has not been great. And it does make you think okay well that this guy is a is basically a rental is that's fine especially if they're gonna go to uh uh, if they're gonna go to i'm just gonna say because they they're uh they're gonna go to a lorenzen sanchez kind of combination spot in the rotation rather than giving him his own starts all the time i feel like that's a better idea yeah you know there is a reason the phillies traded cole hamels immediately after he threw like 125 or 130 (laughs) pitches in his no hitter like, literally immediately they sent him out of town. Like, Johan Santana did the same thing. He threw that no-hitter. He threw an ungodly number of pitches and was never the same. I think <laughs> Lorenzen might be the same after this year because he's still pretty young. But, like, that was – I remember thinking, they're really going to send him out with that many pitches? I'm like, this is this is the difference between a no-hitter and Lorenzen being good the next start. Yeah. Like, right there, <laughs> that's the difference. What do you want more? And baseball history dictates that you leave him in. And I have no problem with that. I'm not saying anyone should have done anything different because we have no idea how it would have turned out. But that's always nagging at the back of my head whenever I see him pitch. I'm like, man, come on. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, I will say on a positive note, Lorenzen-wise, it was it was cool to see him get a uh, bronze-coated replica of the Vans he wore yeah. during his no-hitter this week. So that's that's cool. Uh, gifted him by the son of the founder of Vans. So, <laughs> cool. I mean, I'm not really a shoe guy, but yep. if you wear Vans and the son of the creator of Vans gives you a trophy modeled after your own Vans, I don't know. That seems like something that would be a big deal for you. Um, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily see that, but hey, you know, not everything's for everybody. So now moving past San Diego, Liz, it's a wild, wild card weekend to an extent. The National League wildcard race sees the Phillies on top, the Cubs at their heels, and then a mosh pit made up of the Marlins, Diamondbacks, and Reds, and to a much lesser extent, the Giants. Uh, The Phillies will take on the Marlins this weekend. The Cubs will face the Diamondbacks uh, up in Chicago, and a whole lot of of seating could be impacted for the postseason here because if any of these teams end up in a tie, which I don't feel like the Phillies will necessarily be involved in that scenario. Hopefully not. But if any of these teams wind up at a tie, then the tiebreaker is their season series against each other. Uh, so in that vein, it would be smart for the Phillies to take this series against the Marlins just because they are five and five. And just, you know, just to be safe, to take the season series against them would be pretty handy. Just winning two out of three. And that's yes. all you got to do. Uh, the Marlins, of course, had won six games in a row until last night. When they got completely pasted by the Dodgers, ten to nothing, um, so it's a good time to be playing the Marlins as they as they plummeted back to earth after their recent hot streak. Um, news: uh, This came after news that they would be without slugging outfielder Jorge Soler or 2022 National League Cy Young winner Sandy Alcantara for the rest of the season. So, Liz, at this point, you know, seeing the Marlins win all those games and knowing this series was on the calendar and knowing the implications it had for the standings. You know, this felt like uh, the beginning of this week felt like this was going to be a big series. And to an extent, I was looking past the Padres at the Marlins and just thinking like, okay, this could, you know, depending on what happens this week, given how tight the wild card race is for some teams, this could be a really big series. And the Marlins could be really up for this series, even though they're on the road, but they've got all the momentum. And then last night (laughs) happened and, you know, that doesn't necessarily derail their entire momentum, but I just talked to Eli Sussman of Fish on First and he seemed to believe the Phillies are, in general, a better team than the Marlins. Oh, really? Uh, even though their success has come in very similar ways. Both teams were looking for their offense for most of the season, only really tapped into it recently, and having done so, are getting comprehensive contributions up and down their lineups. Uh, even from Joey Wendell found a way to contribute against wow. the Dodgers for the Marlins. So, 
you know, they're in the position they're in without some guys that they were leaning on. Alcantara obviously hasn't had a Cy Young year this year, but he has eaten a lot of innings for the Marlins, uh, despite his lower uh, production levels from the mound. So at this point, Liz, you know, here we are. Are you or have you ever been intimidated by the 2023 Miami Marlins? No. At okay. least no time. In, <laughs> uh, okay, I'll say this. Not in the last like two months. In the early part of the season when the Phillies sucked, <laughs> where the Phillies were having a hard time and the Marlins were looking good and it was very scary, I was intimidated then because the Phillies, like multiple members of the Phillies were not hitting and like Harper was not around. But as time has gone on, to me, even as the Marlins have done well and, and largely kept up with the pack, it's it's been pretty obvious to me that they are definitely not as good of a team. No matter, you know, they're just not as good of a team. And now they're going to be without Soler and uh, and Alcantara. So uh, let's, let's go in and stomp on them some more. Let's kick them when they're down. I'm all for that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, as far as these like other wildcard teams that are battling it out for that third spot, uh, it wasn't that I was super intimidated by the Marlins, but I also just didn't think they were going to be the first team to fall away. And they're not. I, I think it's fair to say the Giants are falling away. I mean, all you got to do is ask a Giants fan who's been watching them recently. I don't know if they, any of them would admit to you that they're Giants fans right now. They are not happy. <laughs> yeah, they have essentially thrown in the towel on this team. The Giants are, I believe, back down to 500. Yes, uh, they so are. 70 and 70. I think it's fair to say that that team's playoff chances are basically done. Uh, I, I don't know if Gabe Kapler's got the managerial prowess or person skills to really give a rousing speech and bring his 500 team back from the brink and into a wild card spot because uh, they're yeah. a 500 team really no matter how <laughs> they've been playing for the rest of the season now they're a 500 team because that's what they're supposed to be <laughs> yeah i've seen a lot of giants fans talking about like it's just sad to watch brandon crawford at bats now where no. they're like this is a guy we loved and he was so good for so long and now it's you know it's just, it's just yeah, not the same that feeling yeah so I think, yeah, the Giants are kind of settling into what they are, essentially. And <laughs> I'm not really listing them among the wildcard teams at this we point. We should, if only to crap on them for the rest of the season. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Sorry, I still have many hurt feelings. <laughs> uh, but yeah, at this point, I'm just keeping it Marlins, Diamondbacks, and Reds. And even the Reds, I feel like, will, will be the next team to kind of disappear from this race. I really do think it'll come down to the Marlins and Diamondbacks, which is why this could be a... Pretty consequential weekend uh, for the wildcard picture. Yeah, as far as the Marlins go, I mean, this is a beatable team for the Phillies. And, and I agree that the Phillies have, have had more success for, for longer here in the second half, more sustained success. Uh, and they have you know, that they've been able to achieve it in similar ways to the Marlins, I think is important. But I think they have a higher ceiling than Miami. And, you know, as we've said all season long, this Phillies team can beat or lose to any team at any time. So, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but all we can say for, for now is that this is a big series and the Phillies have every capability of taking two out of three from the Marlins, which is all I'm trying to see from this team. So I don't need them to dominate, stomp the life out of people. I'm with you that, I, you know, you like seeing the Phillies kick a team when they're down, oh, but yeah. at the same time. I'm I'm fine with them just, you know, winning two out of three and moving on to the next challenge because that's that's where we're at now. Now it's just kinda like stay the course. Stay as hot as you've been, keep that momentum. The Marlins are not Give a up team. No ground. <laughs> yeah, they're not like momentum busters. They're not killers. You know, you you are able to beat them. So just take care of business and, and we should be good. So looking forward to an interesting weekend of baseball. Uh, but the Phillies will, of course, be doing so with uh, Reese Hoskins in the dugout. Playing at home, uh, you get a little bit of Reese, which is always nice. We love seeing Reese Hoskins around the Phillies, and we've all kind of known all season long that, you know, he's his, his story is kind of messy as far as his future with the Phillies goes. Uh, at the very least, ambiguous. By now, we've all read Matt Gelb's story in The Athletic on Reese Hoskins, you know, with the depth of the Phillies lineup being talked about so much recently, I've really started finding myself thinking during Jake Cave at bats, boy, imagine this batting order. 
but swap out Jake Cape for Reese Hoskins. Yep. And like thinking about how well they're hitting now and how how up and down the lineup their success has been, and then just having a home run hitter and on base specialist in there instead of Jake Cave is just like, oh man, this could really this really could have been something, especially yeah. now that they've they've got their offense in gear. It's a couple more wins at least, you'd think, with Reese in there, but for obviously sure. Hoskins' non-contact spring training injury has had him benched all season long. But uh, the Phillies have managed to dominate the wildcard race even without their homegrown slugger in the mix. But this his unfortunate ACL tear has, of course, come at the worst, worst possible time. With Hoskins about to enter free agency and no real guarantee that the Phillies will extend him an offer, despite him being a fan favorite and a skilled power hitter, Liz, the way Gelb frames it, he reminds you how how much terrible baseball Reese Hoskins has witnessed uh-huh. and since since joining the Phillies, and really, you know, kind of a fraction of the whole era that he came up in the middle of. He he wasn't there for the worst of the worst. He came up uh, in 2017, and uh, yeah, but still, even even with um, missing the playoffs, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Uh, yeah, that's still a bunch of missed opportunities, and this recent playoff success and last year's playoff success means that he's one of the few players to come up through the Phillies farm system and watch them kind of evolve into a playoff contender again. But how, in a few weeks, he may never play for them again after missing out on his last year with the team. So, before we get into anything else, Liz, should the Phillies bring back Race Hoskins? Yes. Yes, they should. They should bring him back as soon as possible. Yes. Is that what you were looking for? Is that the answer? Well, would you say you're answering logistically or emotionally? I both. You you can't prove otherwise. Uh (laughs) That's true. I literally cannot. That's fair. I would like to say both because Gelb mentioned in, in that piece something that I had been hoping to hear, which is the Phillies recognize how much they miss him how much they could have used him during those really down times um, and how much they could have used his sort of leadership in the clubhouse. Not that Nick Castellanos isn't great, I'm sure, but he's not Reese Hoskins. And Schwarber. Schwarber, and Schwarber is also yes, a clubhouse yes, yes. leader. But, but, but yeah. he was that already, and Castellanos sort of stepped up when Reese went down. So, and Bryce is the one who mentioned Reese Hoskins as our captain earlier this year. Yes, so. he should continue saying things exactly like that. Uh, and talk and continue indicating to the Phillies that he would like Reese to come back because I get I get the indication that they might listen to him because they're paying him so much money. That's what I want to hear. I want I want players to and Phillies players have done this before. I think um, they had been talking about Real Muto's um, arbitration hearing a few years ago. Like they do. You know, they do speak out for each other. So I'd love to see that happen near the end of the season. Um, because that will be a question that's going to be asked whenever the Phillies are escorted out of the playoffs, whether that be early or late. Um, so. Or, or or not at all. Oh, well, or, I or meant ne- late as in, in a, you know, early or late as in a parade. I, I, as I was saying, I'm like, I don't know if I'm clear enough. But then I just kept talking. <laughs> then I just kept talking and decided not to think about it anymore, because <laughs> the words kept coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Fair enough. That is literally what an answer is. So yes. that's understandable. Yes, whether early or late via parade, um, it, it's good. Something that's going to be asked, and I would love to hear the players say, "We want, we want him back." Reese is important to us. He's important to the team, not just you know, on a personnel basis, but on the field, you know, he's, he's an act. He's actually a great trade first baseman, not there just for kicks, you know, because he can't throw. So yeah, that's, I think they should bring him back least of all because fans love him and it's not going to cost them an arm and a leg. It, I, I don't think it will. It's Boris yeah. isn't an idiot and they, him and, and Hoskins both know how to read numbers. Regardless of where he's playing next year, he's going to be signing a presumably short-term deal to prove that he is okay because he spent this entire year benched with yeah. an injury. So and why not do that in Philadelphia? Why not? When you think about that, yeah, the, the well, why not in Philadelphia? It's not like I mean the pro side of the argument, as Gelb writes, is that Hoskins, who is making twelve million dollars this year, instead might have to settle for a shorter term contract to reestablish his value after such a major injury. 
The Phillies could be the team to offer that. That's me talking. That's not from the article, but they could be. Uh, unless they see Bryce Harper as the first baseman of the future. Harper has said he's, you know, he's open to playing first base long term, but I think he, you know, he, he is nothing if not a careful chooser of words. He's aware of the situation, same as anybody else. But, you know, we've been sitting here listening. Well, Harper's got to move to first. Bum's got to move to first base. Real Muto's got to move to first base eventually. People have all these future plans for first base without realizing only one guy can really, you know, be your starting first baseman all of the time. Yeah. Uh, Feels like there's a litany of names thrown out there as far as first baseman of the future in regards to the Phillies. And they're mostly guys who are just like, well, he's too hurt to play anywhere else or he doesn't have the arm to play somewhere else. No, they're like, not first your, baseman. <laughs> your point is 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 also very solid that Reese Hoskins is the only one of the group who is a first baseman. That's that's what he does. So that's like his position. It's not something he got moved to out of necessity. Uh, and the free agent market, not deep this winter, as we also know. There's Otani. And then there's the next tier down where there's a pool of like three or four guys, one of which includes Reese Hoskins. So like he, he's uh he's he's kind of a top free agent this winter. But all the talk will obviously be about Otani. Uh, the Phillies want to keep Bohm at third by, you know, just looking at their future blueprints. That is that is, according to Gelb, their plan is, just, you know, they want Bohm playing mostly at third. Harper may want to get back in the outfield next year. And as far as Hoskins goes, he told Matt Gelb, I would love to be here. I would be elated to be here. It's a great place to play. That's not surprising to know that he wants to stay. I mean, it's not that kind of situation where it's like, well, the two sides need to just decide they want to make a deal. Obviously, there's other factors involved in that. Um, but Gelb also said in a mailbag two weeks ago, I do think there is legitimate interest in bringing back Hoskins. Yay. But those... But those are conversations that are not at the forefront right now. Hoskins is focused on his recovery. The Phillies are focused on the current roster. Fair enough. And even Dabrowski was like, we're not, we don't, we're not having, we're not talking we're about that right that now. Conversation like, now. We're saving that for like, well, he said the postseason, which I was like. I think he what? just meant playoff. I think he just <laughs> meant after, he just used postseason yeah. as a after the season. After the season. Yeah. Got it. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, so it seems like everybody is reportedly potentially on the same page here. And if the Phillies, honestly, Liz, if the Phillies brought Reese Hoskins back on a one-year deal, A, they'd probably, is it crazy to suggest they would probably be offering more than anybody else? Because who is more intimately aware of his value as a baseball player on and off the field than the only team he's ever played for? I think that's also fair. I think they would offer him... They might offer him a little bit more than anybody else. Yeah, not not like a lot more, but yeah. like offer him the best deal. I don't think that's that's crazy because who's going to be out there? Like you know, let's oh let's let's pretend the Rays are suddenly like oh yeah, this is a guy, this is a deal, <laughs> this is a deal. We can do it. One of these deals we do. Yay! This is going to be great. And <laughs> Who uh, are you right now? That's the same impression I do for everybody. Uh, and I was like they cut diamonds for a minute. But it's not like they would be like, let's give him all the money in the world. They'd be like, what? How cheap can we go? How 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 little can we give this guy and get all this value? We we treasure so much like that. That's going to be the type of team you think that's that's going to be after Hoskins and and the Phillies know who he is and and uh, they know that as a power hitter who can also get on base. Yes, he is inconsistent, but they are aware of what he can do and. I'm pretty sure they're aware how many people want him here. I don't think that is uh -huh. a deciding factor in their decision-making, but I do think it's a factor somewhere along the line. Knowing that everybody wants you there, pretty much, I'm sure there are, don't worry, I'm sure there are malcontents out there who are like, well, he's he, he doesn't get on base that much for like months at a time. And, you know, we're, we're kind of beyond that at this point. He can do that in a lineup this deep. He can be the kind of hitter he is. And, you know, it's been laid out by people smarter than me that statistically you get the same results, the same very good results, uh, as a player who is maybe more consistent in their production, but just you're, get, you're just getting it in, in, with a different frequency from other players. Uh, Hoskins is, yeah, you know, his, his success largely comes in batches or spasms. A hot weekend here, a good couple of weeks here. Uh, we, we are, we're all very familiar with him. And so given like what the market looks like, given what the Phillies know, given that they're, according to Gelb, some kind of interest, legitimate interest, using Gelb's words, someone who is plugged into the organization, uh, from the Phillies, that I think is so important 
if you're someone who wants this to happen. And yes, I, I think most people important to me. <laughs> yeah, most people do want this to happen. As as frustrating and as polarizing a player as Hoskins has been at times, uh, I do think that this lineup has proven a how well it can produce runs even with two or three of the guys not producing at the level that they should be. Um, it also has proven that, you know, last night we saw the NFL season start and we saw the Kansas City Chiefs lose a game to the Detroit Lions that they definitely should have won. Oh, yeah. And we saw that game happen because the Chiefs offense could not wrangle the ball in while their stud all-star or a pro bowl tight end Travis Kelsey was standing on the sidelines. And as people pointed out, boy, you really learned how valuable Kelsey is by watching this offense play without him. And I think the Phillies saw a lot of times this year where the role being played by, you know, the Reese Hoskins role being played by someone else in their lineup wasn't as good, you know? So I I feel like we've learned a lot this year. And I I mean, you know, we're not plugged into the organization as intimately as Matt Gelb, but looking at the evidence, looking at the situation, looking at what people are saying right now, it does seem like there is more than just a non-zero chance that, Hoskins is back here on a short deal next year. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah. Agree. Completely agree. And at this point in his career, especially after the, you know, the bat slam last year, the, we know now that he's a player that's going to be associated with the Phillies forever uh, in a positive way. And he'll be, you know, one of the guys that will have his, uh, his face on the wall of fame someday he'll have his own jersey he'll have a a retirement ceremony where he you know he signs a one-day contract if he isn't with the Phillies like that's the type of player Reese Hoskins is now and I think I know I just want more chances to have more moments with a player who's been here since the very beginning yeah yeah, and uh, we're all, you know, I think the Phillies and everybody watching and reading about the Phillies for the past two seasons is more than aware of the value Reese Hoskins brings to the organization. So we'll see what happens, but we got a little update on that situation from Matt Gelb this week, and, you know, it's worth talking about. But hopefully, you know, there's going to be more important things to talk about, more immediate things at least to talk about in the weeks to come as the Phillies enter the home stretch and play for a spot in the playoffs and, you know, seeding in the playoffs so hopefully hopefully we can wind up with a uh, home wild card series this year really you know it wasn't until the nlds game three that phillies fans made their playoff debut last year i think we get a little get in a little earlier this year yeah. really help with that help with that momentum if that's what you want to call it well that'll do it for this episode of hidden season uh thank you as always you can find new episodes at billypen.com slash hidden season and for bonus content if you just can't get enough head on over to patreon.com slash hidden season where for five dollars a month you can get access to the hidden season patreon uh and listen to a phillies happy hour called absolutely hammered with me and chris jones uh, as well as the dirty inning Thanks for listening. From WHYY and Billy Penn, I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hitting Season.